1: This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut.
0: It looks so good.
1: Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Prose is made for people. Not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in depth consultation to their made to order model. And so I used the review and refine feature. And I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner.
0: Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com/slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com/slash Harry Potter. That's P R O S E.com/slash Harry Potter. Chapter 17: Cat, Rat, and Dog. Harry's mind had gone blank with shock. The three of them stood transfixed with horror under the invisibility cloak. The very last rays of the setting sun were casting a bloody light over the long shadowed grounds. Then, behind them, they heard a wild howling. I'm Matt Potts.
1: And I'm Vanessa Zoltan.
0: And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text.
1: So Matt, for this week's Every Flavored Bean, I would love to tell you a story because I met your Patronus.
0: You met my patronus.
1: I did, Matt. I met Max. And so I'm going to tell you all about meeting Max in Yellowstone. And we are going to share stories about there's so many animals that are met in this chapter. We're going to tell some stories about encountering exciting animals.
0: I love it. Can't wait. I love animals.
1: I know. Me too. And everybody, we just want to offer a trigger warning before we jump into today's episode. We are recording this the week of the shooting at Robb Elementary School and the week after the shooting in Buffalo. And just in a culture of the world in which people are getting shot all the time, especially children in schools. And it was impossible for Matt and I to carry that and not read that into the chapter. So we will be talking about that in this week's episode. And so we want to warn you if that is not something that you feel like listening to today, we totally understand. And we'll talk to you next week.
0: Vanessa, our theme this week is partnership. So what story do you have for us, partner? (laughs)
1: this was so fun to think about because I realized that I think of so many people as my partners in various parts of my life. And I'm going to tell a story today about one of my favorite people, my friend Dana Greer. Dana and I worked together for seven years at an education nonprofit in New York. And she and I had very similar jobs. We were together constantly. We traveled all over the country together. We were very close and still are very close. I talk to her weekly at least and i've told this beginning part of the story on the podcast before i was almost as low at this organization that you could get and my boss mike picked me up and shook me and yelled at me in front of other people one day and i Couldn't really get it together after. He then mocked me and tousled my hair, and I started crying for hours. I, like, literally couldn't catch my breath. And Dana was there, and she was very sweet and very understanding. And I was sent home because I was embarrassing Michael. And I decided that everyone sort of allowed a bad day and that I wasn't going to report it to HR. And so the story that I'm telling today actually takes place the following day. And so the following day, I wake up in the morning and I'm gonna go to work. And I'm going to be fine, I've decided. And it was my job, we were running a conference, and it was my job to sit in the back of this conference breakout room and make sure that everybody had everything they needed. If the faculty needed help with anything, technology-wise, someone forgot a pen, that was my job in this room, is just to sit there and make sure everything ran smoothly. And so I'm setting up the room, and I get a call from Dana, and Dana says, take attendance in your session today. And I was like, that's, why? Like, that is not one of the things we do. We don't take attendance. This is an optional conference. Like, there's nothing to take attendance for. And she was like, I just overheard Michael Moore saying to my boss, to Dana's boss, Dreama, that if you don't take attendance today, he's gonna fire you. And I was like, what? Okay, and she was like, I can't really talk, we'll talk later. She hung up, I took attendance. Michael came to this session to sort of supervise me, and he was clearly frustrated that I was taking attendance. (laughs) And it was while sitting in the back of the room at that session that I was like, oh, I have to report this to HR. This man is embarrassed by the way that he treated me and is going to try to find an excuse to fire me. And it was because of the information that Dana gave me that I made that decision. Well, as soon as I reported it to HR... Dana got called in by her boss and was reprimanded for telling me what she had overheard. And I was on the other side of the store, so I overheard the conversation in which Dana said, first of all, Mike said this in front of me, and so if he didn't want me to know, he shouldn't have said it within earshot. Second of all, and this is the key thing, my loyalty is to Vanessa, not to Mike. And that was it. (laughs) And this had all sorts of consequences. Dana and I essentially got sent to the Siberia of the organization and were pushed out. And I can't tell you, obviously, this won't surprise anyone, how much that meant to me. That A, that Dana told me, because otherwise I would have been blindsided and it would have looked retaliatory that I was reporting it to HR, right? Like her calling me really saved me. And then that when she was getting in trouble, rather than, you know, backpedaling it at all, saying, my loyalty is to Vanessa. And Dana's a political person, so I think her loyalty would have been to anyone sort of in an equal position rather than a position of power. But part of it was because of our closeness. And that to me is what partnership is. Partnership is about a series of promises and commitments, but it only becomes truly a partnership to me when you're willing to risk something. And that was a moment to me in which Dana was clearly willing to risk a lot for me and I guess maybe that's not a necessary component of a partnership but it is the component that makes it clear to me that it is a meaningful partnership.
0: That's a really interesting definition Vanessa like because like there are all kinds of like forms of like working together, right? But Right. What you've indicated is unique about partnership is that there's a deeper kind of loyalty. Like there's a there's more at stake. And more put at risk, like you said, right? Like there's all kinds of ways that people work together, but you can work with someone or even support someone without actually putting yourself on the line. But what Dana did for you was really like put herself on the line. And that signals something, something deeper, a more committed sort of loyalty, which, yeah, partnership seems like a pretty good name for.
1: And we definitely see that partnership in the trio to just like the nth yeah. degree in this chapter, right? Yeah. Well, Matt partner in 30-second recap, and so many other things. Are you ready to offer your 30-second recap?
0: I feel like today of all days, I'm just going to say what I can say in 30 seconds, and you will risk your own 30 seconds. I will. You will risk the, the, the excellence of your own 30 seconds to fix mine. And that's why this is a true partnership.
1: <laughs> okay, Matt, on your mark, get set, Go.
0: So they're walking away from the from Hagrid's hut and they're very upset and they can't believe what just happened and then and then uh Crookshank shows up and Crookshank's attacking and then uh and then scabbers and, and the dog comes and the dog grabs Ron and takes Ron to the tree and and Rod's leg is broken and and goes they go in the tree and Crookshank says, here's how you get in the tree and pushes the thing, and everything stops beating everybody up, and they go in and they follow, and they get to the shrieking shack, and there's a they go upstairs and 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 Rod's there and Sirius Black is there, and Lupin's there, and that's not what they think. And and, and Harry, Harry almost kills him, but he doesn't. Oh my gosh. That I,
1: boy! it's not what they think. (laughs) It's
0: not what they think. Boy, I I ran out of time really quickly in that. I I thought I'd spend a lot of time just reflecting upon the moral decision that Harry was faced with in that moment. It turns out 30 seconds is not enough time to really reflect upon that. Or or is it, partner? Is
1: it? Well, we'll see.
0: (laughs) Okay. Are you ready, Vanessa? I am. Three, two, one, Go.
1: So I think what's appropriate is for us to reflect on the moral decision that Harry has to make here. (laughs) And that is whether or not he should kill Sirius Black. This is the man who he thinks is responsible for killing his parents. This is the man who stabbed the fat lady and who slashed at Ron's sheets. This is a violent man who was willing to kill seven people just to make his own escape. And Harry now has the chance for that revenge. And so he is looking at Sirius and he is deciding whether or not to go for the attack. And he just can't get himself to do it.
0: Because of Crookshanks? Is it because of Crookshanks?
1: It might know. be because of are Matt, I would like to start this conversation with something I wrote down, which is these poor children. These kids have just overheard a beloved animal have its head chopped off. And then the trauma just, like, keeps on coming. Ron gets, like, violently pulled into the Whomping Willow. There is a thunderous crack, which is the sound of his leg breaking. And then Hermione and Harry get beat up on their way into following Ron. They are then in a terrifying situation with who they believe to be a convicted murderer. Harry has to confront the death of his parents while Ron and Hermione are afraid that their best friend is about to get killed. They're 13.
0: This is terrible. This was I I I did not like reading this chapter honestly. As you said at the top of the episode, uh, the shooting in Uvalde just happened, and just this week, I'm sure listeners will know more by the time this episode is released. But you know, details of of what children in the room were doing, how they were trying to protect each other, and and actions they were taking, having to read about these thirteen year olds being heroic, is not what I wanted to read this week, (laughs) right? Like it just it didn't it didn't feel like fiction. You know, like by the end of the series, I like Sirius Black. He seems like a good guy, and like he broke Ron's leg. He's putting all these folks at r- risk. At best, he wants to murder somebody in front of them. At best, yeah, right. Like the, just the whole thing. Just it. It was hard to read. I mean, it, everything's hard to do these days. I think honestly, in the, in the wake of, in the wake of the shooting, but reading this and reading how this chapter kind of glorifies the heroism of these children, and it does. I mean, around their partnership. I mean, they they show the kind of loyalty that you described as constituting partnership. I think described well in your story, right? But like, they risk for each other. Like they chase after Ron and go into the Whomping Willow because he's at risk. They go into the Shrieking Shack. Harry and Ron and Hermione fight Sirius Black and get the wands away. Like they are, they are willing to be heroic in that Gryffindor way. And maybe it's my own fault, but two weeks ago, I think reading this, I would have been like, oh, this is a story and these are these kids and this is Harry Potter. And this week, it's just it just feels—I don't want to have, see children put in that situation ever. And even seeing them put in this situation fictionally in this chapter it just felt hard to read.
1: Yeah, and, you know, we've spent so much time this season talking about the structural failures. That means that these fights land on the shoulders of these kids. And Lupin shows up, but why didn't Lupin alert Dumbledore, right? Like, again, there's just this irresponsible— lack of thought on behalf of the adults in this chapter that, again, just seems so reminiscent of the world that we're living in with, you know, Ted Cruz being unwilling to admit that guns are the problem (laughs) in this situation and, in fact, attempting to make schools even more dangerous by wanting to make it so there's only one egress in and out of a school, which would be a nightmare in the case of a fire. And so it, again, just, like, feels so reminiscent. And I think what's troubling about it is that I think I would feel okay about this representation that feels so apt if I felt as though the book was knowingly condemning these teachers and showing the way that the trauma realistically impacts the kids. But it it does. It feels like it's glorifying the kids' heroism when really these kinds of partnerships shouldn't have to exist.
0: I think that's right. But I think, you know, I've been thinking about this since I was reading this. And I think that maybe we need to read the books a different way. I'm I'm not trying to be an apologist for J.K. Rowling, who is not someone I want to apologize for. But I wonder if it makes sense to apologize for the text itself, which mm-hmm. is not intended for adults like you and me. It's actually intended for 13-year-olds. And maybe, yeah. you know, the, in 1996, there was an awful mass shooting at an elementary school in sterling scotland i think 16 children were killed in that shooting and then you know about a year later this this the first of the harry potter series is released and it's not it wasn't written for grownups. it was written for kids and i, I wonder if it's written for young people for 13 year olds 10 year olds 11 year olds who have seen that adults are not protecting them and so the story that that is given to these people who should not have to be heroes is Maybe we can be heroes. What would it look like if we would save ourselves instead of adults saving us? And when I think about it that way, then you're right. Adults should be taking care of them. But the manifest fact is that in this country, at least, adults are not taking care of them. So if children want to read books where they are strong enough to take care of themselves, I get it. man. <laughs> like I, I understand. Right. I mean, if this is the fantasy that is more believable than the reality. That children can be heroes and save themselves from the evil around them. Maybe this is why the book speaks to young people.
1: I'm really grateful for that reframe for its own sake, but also because it invites me to read the text in a different way, which is I'm one of the adults now, right? When I first read these books, I was 18, 19, 20. And so I was older than the kids, but I, I was definitely closer to the kids' age than like a Dumbledore. And now it's actually really helpful to see myself reflected in a loop in. How many times do I fly into a situation assuming that I'm enough when really what I should be doing is ringing alarm bells loudly? How many times have I failed children in this exact way, threatened or done something inappropriate in front of one of them or not taken enough care about how I do something because there is a child present? And so I think that the call is to see myself in these incredibly flawed adults and learn from them.
0: Yeah. I also think the way you initially framed it, I think, is really important, too, because even if we do read these stories as fantasies of child heroism that are understandably appealing to children who are at risk, the, the texts also do glorify individual heroism, like Lupin will come and save them or whoever will come and save them, rather than, like, change the system. Right. Yeah. And what did happen in the UK and what has happened in many other places, Australia and New Zealand and other places, is that systems were changed. But the heroism which is lacking in our country is this refusal to to even entertain the question of subtly shifting the, the most minor aspects of the system. And also the solutions that are lifted up as alternatives to systemic change usually have something to do with, oh, we need more people to be heroic. We need more people to right. act like fantasy heroes to prevent this kind of violence when the actual policy solutions are incredibly straightforward and known and just not done.
1: Well, and... What's so interesting to make this about partnership again, Matt, is that partnership is to a large extent about not being self-serving, about saying in this space, in this capacity, I consider your body to be part of my body. We are the same right now, right? And and Harry, Ron, and Hermione all do that for one another again and again in this chapter. They're saying, if you hurt Ron, you're hurting me. If you're hurting Harry, you're hurting me. And I don't know what it is, but I see that as more possible for children than for adults. And I guess kids, to some extent, have less complicated or less nuanced things to risk, right? Like, they have their whole lives to risk, but it's not like, you know, Dumbledore has to think about keeping Hogwarts open and having a good relationship with the Ministry of Magic, and right? Whereas to kids, there's just this this clarity— of Dementors are bad and shouldn't be on campus. And so I guess the thing that this is making me think about with partnership is which partnership do you want to prioritize? And I would say that Dumbledore's allegiance should be with the children. And instead, he has this complex web of partnerships that I can imagine him justifying as being in service of the children, but I think it it misses the point.
0: Well, I think that, one of the things that partnership assumes is that I am not sufficient to the task by myself, right? I mean, in some ways, there is heroism in this chapter. We've been talking about heroism, but after Ron gets his leg broken by Sirius Black in dog form and taken under the the whomping willow and out to the shrieking shack, you know, Harry and Hermione chase after him. It is selfless, but it's also because they know that that Ron can't do them by himself, right? It's this awareness that of this kind of individual heroism is insufficient. And that's why they chase after him, right? And they get the Shrieking Shack and Sirius Black is in his person form, right? And they're struggling over the wands or whatever. Like, Hermione just kicks kicks Sirius, right? Like Kicks Sirius and helps Harry battle him and wrestle him. And Ron with his broken leg does too, despite all the pain. And again, it's because like they know that Harry, as much as a hero as he has been, can't do this on his own, right? And it seems like what haunts so much of the rest of especially the adults' ideology in this book is the idea that one person can fix this, right? And that's even what is put on Harry from the beginning of the series. Mm-hmm. Like, you are the hero. One person can fix it. But what Harry comes to realize in this book and in each book progressively and at the end of the whole series is that, you know, the 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 boy who lived is is the community that forms around him and resists evil. It's not just him on his own. And so the 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 beauty of the partnerships in this chapter and the fact that they are centered upon children I think maybe one thing that children realize is that they're vulnerable. They know they're vulnerable because they're children. And and if you know you're vulnerable then you know you need help. And that and you also know that your friends who are also vulnerable need help. And so you you help right? And you work together and you don't expect the other person to be a hero. Um, And, you know, returning it to Rob Elementary School, what we see are children from these rooms who are at risk making phone calls and taking risks to try to help their classmates in those rooms. And then adults being cautious and waiting for heroes to show up and not doing enough to save the children in those rooms and legislators and all those other people not doing enough. So, I mean, again, like I see these books as speaking to speaking to children who, who feel that adults do not keep them safe. And the answer they have is that, well, we need to keep each other safe. There is not one single child hero, superhero, who's gonna save us all. We need to save each other. And I think that is where the partnerships we see in this chapter show up. It's, it's what's really beautiful about them.
1: A moment that that reminds me of, Matt, is when Harry and Hermione make it into the Shrieking Shack and see that it's Sirius. Sirius says to them, was, I knew that you would come after your friend and it was very yeah. brave of you to not call for help. And, right, like, that's an adult mindset, as you laid it out, of, like, good for you, you could do it alone. And then right. Hermione hears someone below, and she's yeah. like, I don't care what you think, help, help, we're <laughs> up here. Right. And she's like, we did not not call for help because we thought we could do it alone or because we were brave. We didn't call for help because of strategy. like yeah. It was too short a period of time you were dragging Ron in. And so I love her rejection, like our brave Gryffindor, Hermione, when Sirius is like, good for you for thinking you can do it alone. She's like, "Nah."
0: God, now that you mention that, Vanessa, that's so smart. And actually, it points right to like the origin story of the whole series, which is, you know, Sirius and the Fidelius charm and him thinking that he could protect this family on his own because of that charm.
1: Right. And then him feeling, so the Fidelius charm being the secret keeper charm, right? That right. as long as one person knows where James and Lily and Harry are, nobody else can find out. And so the only way for for people to be able to find them is that the secret keeper would have to tell. And Sirius, we don't know why, but Sirius hands that responsibility over to Peter and Peter yeah. Pettigrew. And maybe... It was actually out of humility of like, I can't do this. Right. Like you do this, but it, it's a dumb charm because two people should each know half or something. And yeah, it's that isolation of Sirius being like, whatever it is, right? Like Voldemort will come torture me because of my brother Remus, right? Like I guarantee you Sirius had a really good reason for handing that over to Peter Pettigrew. And yet we know that that just entirely backfires.
0: I mean, you compare that, these two versions of defending Harry. When he's one year old, the adults decide to defend him by making it secret and putting a hero in charge of it and hoping that that keeps the rising tide of evil away from him. And then, you know, whatever, 18 years or 17 years and seven novels later, the children do it by building an army around him and standing up together, right? It's, it's, it really is like a public shared burden among all the folks who resist rather than a private kind of secret charm, an individual charm that tries to protect Terry. Yeah. You know, the the word, we got to make our visit to Etymology Corner, the word partnership, it's actually really interesting. And there is some stuff to reflect upon it, I think, with respect to our chapter and some of the things we've been saying, the first part of the word partnership, partner, comes from the Latin partitio, which just means a share or a portion. Right. And so implied in the idea of partnership is like, oh, we have a task that we all have to share. Like we can't actually hold this. You know, it's like when you're carrying a couch up the stairs, right? Like (laughs) we each need to hold a corner. It doesn't work. It's too big for any one of us. We need to hold a corner to get it up the stairs. But the other part, the ship part shows up in lots of words, craftsmanship or marksmanship or whatever. That comes from an old Germanic root that means like almost like whittling to like to shape or to craft, like something needs oh, to be honed and carved and, and crafted. And it makes me think about, you know, we're in the third book now. And, and Harry and Ron and Hermione have been doing this with each other for years. And sometimes it's gone well, like it did, you know, at the end of book two. And sometimes it has gone poorly, like earlier in this book, when they were not very nice to Hermione. But they are practiced at leaning on each other. Right and and the idea that partnership is a practice that sharing your portion means being in relationship with each other, giving giving to others and receiving from others, and letting others take their share of the burden and then picking up the share of the of, of others' burden. I mean, we just talked about this in the last chapter. You can see Ron and Hermione coming back into this balance and like learning to carry each other again in an important way, and we see it here as well in this really climactic fight scene in the Shrieking Shack, that these three are there for each other, but it didn't just come out of nowhere. They've been practicing this, they've been honing this craft, and they've been figuring out how to carry one another's burdens uh, for for a few years. And they're going to keep getting better at it and keep being tested in this way for several books to come. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring.
1: This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Caspar, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut.
0: It looks so good.
1: Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way, and now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Prose is made for people not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner
0: pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash harry potter so you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash harry potter that's p-r-o-s-e dot com slash harry potter
1: Matt, another moment where you see like a lack of partnership is when Hermione lets us know that she essentially figured out that R- Lupin was a werewolf from Snape's assignment that he gave to the kids on like the history of the werewolf and what a werewolf is. And what what is clear from that is that Snape is not a full partner to Lupin, right? Snape is willing to make the wolfbane potion for Lupin. He's even willing to bring the wolfbane potion to Lupin and kind of be a mensch about it. And yet, He's not willing to agree with this apparent order from Dumbledore that we're not talking about the fact that Lupin is a werewolf. This is a dangerous world for werewolves. We are a sanctuary for werewolves here. And I, in theory, am like pro people staying open-minded to breaking ranks with authority, right? Like, I don't want everyone to just follow one step. I want people to be thinking for themselves. And yet this does not feel motivated by anything good, right? This isn't, I'm genuinely concerned for the students, so I feel like I have to say something, right? Like this on Snape's behalf feels like a break in partnership with this order from Dumbledore and with, you know, I would imagine like McGonagall is supportive of Lupin or whoever else and this break in partnership with Lupin for entirely selfish reasons.
0: Yeah, and I think that's right. And even worse, he's exploiting the stigma around werewolves in order to break this partnership, right? Because he actually, it seems like he resents Lupin because Lupin's popular, right? It seems (laughs) like he resents Lupin because the students like him. And that's the thing he's attacking. Like he's, Dumbledore already knows he's a werewolf. It's not like revealing the fact that Lupin's a werewolf will get Lupin fired. He's actually not trying to damage Lupin professionally with the staff who already know he's a werewolf. He's trying to damage Lupin with the students who he knows will react to the stigma around werewolves and dislike this new popular Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, right? And so it seems like this really petty kind of, I'm gonna make these students not like you. I'm gonna reduce your popularity. I'm gonna make you unhappy here, which is really crummy.
1: Yeah, when to like step in and step out of partnerships is a really interesting question. And I think the Ron and Hermione story arc is really helpful to think through now because seeing them in this chapter through the theme of partnership makes me believe that they were always partners. They were partners in a fight. And if you would have asked Ron and Hermione, whatever, a month ago, are you friends? I bet they'd be like, no. But if you then were like, well, are you partners? I wonder if that word would have been like, well, yeah, if she needs me, I'll obviously be there for her, <laughs> but I don't like her. Yeah. Right. It's like partner it is this different thing. And it's, yeah. I'll stick with you even when I don't like you. And I'll, yeah. it almost feels like there needs to be sort of a formal breakup. And you're going to not let the fact that she turned in a broom be the thing. Yeah. And it's
0: also, I mean, I, I that's not what I was thinking you meant when you said partner, partners in a fight. Although everything you said, I think is, is right. What I was thinking about when you said partners in a fight was just that like, they have both decided that the thing they're doing together is fighting. And so... <laughs> But you know what I mean, like that yes, and that, right? Totally. And that, like, and we are just going to do it. And until it's over, we're just going to fight. And right, like, and they're totally committed to it because that's what each of them need. They need to be on opposite sides of this thing, and so they're going to keep doing it.
1: Oh, I love that because the opposite of love or liking is in hate. It's indifference, right. and neither of them are opting into indifference. They're like, if you're going to be mad at me, I'm going to be mad at you. There's like a right. matchedness. I love that yeah. point.
0: Yeah. I mean, the other thing that your question about, like, when to enter and exit partnerships makes me think of is Crookshanks plays such an interesting role in this chapter. (laughs) Because when this chapter starts, Crookshanks is partners with two sets of people who are not partners with each other, right? (laughs) Crookshanks, Crookshanks thinks of himself, if we can think of this magic cat as thinking to himself, he thinks of himself as a partner with Hermione and the trio, of course, right? Yeah. He also thinks of himself as a partner with Sirius Black. And in this chapter it is because of Crookshanks that those separate partnerships become combined into a larger partnership, right? Like they are able to follow Ron and Sirius to the Shrieking Shack because Crookshanks lets them into the to the Whomping Willow. And we you know we haven't talked about this yet. We're not sure what Harry would have done whether he would have killed Sirius <laughs> Black or not if Crookshanks had not sat on top of Sirius's chest and and given rise to this moment of pause. But Crookshanks does. What we know is there is a moment of pause and it's one that Crookshanks makes happen because Crookshanks is like, with no, his this is pause. With his pause, right? Like this is not it's like give a moment of pause from his pause. Like it's it's like, no, you are not enemies, you are partners. And <laughs> I am just gonna help you realize that. Like it like if the ship <laughs> part of partnership is about crafting, like that partnership is something that has to be has to be carefully crafted and brought together and molded and shaped right like that's what Crookshanks has been doing for a few chapters. And the moment of crisis is now and he is he is completing the final turns on this on this beautiful vase of partnership that he has been uh, molding.
1: <laughs> and he he has an enemy, right? He, he's also like trying to mm. get Scabbers.
0: That's right. He's breaking a partnership, too, right? Because Ron thinks that he and Scabbers are partners and and they're trying to be like, nope, actually, you have different
1: partners. You don't realize Okay, Matt, I feel like we have to talk about this Lupin-serious reunion if we're going to talk yeah. about partnership okay. in this. So the, the line that I'm thinking about is when Hermione has just confronted Lupin and been like, no, you know, I, I was protecting you, but you've been his friend this whole time. And Lupin goes, I wasn't his friend, but I am now. And it it feels like Lupin is admitting I was disloyal to Sirius when I shouldn't have been. And I'm opting back into this partnership. I've realized that he and I were partners all along and I just didn't know it, but I wasn't a good friend to him, right? Like he failed as a friend, but they were always on the same side. Mm, Does that make sense? Yeah. Even though they didn't know it.
0: I think that's a great question and like a a really interesting formulation because yeah, I, I hadn't thought of this before, but you're right. Like you can totally be at work on the same project without being friends with somebody right you can even be thinking you're at odds with each other like lupin has thought he's been at odds with black this whole time black has realized that they weren't at odds so they've been actually working together as partners even though they have been at least from one direction enemies that's really perceptive vanessa
1: We are now going to do our sacred practice, and this week we're doing Florilegium. We each pick a sentence that sparkled up to us from the chapter, and we're going to talk about where the sentence comes from, why we picked it, and then we'll put them in conversation with one another. Matt, what sentence did you pick for us this week?
0: Vanessa, my sentence comes from the very beginning of the chapter, when our our trio is walking away from Hagrid's hut, uh, and the narrator says that... The very last rays of the setting sun were casting a bloody light over the long shadowed grounds. Mm. It's just like a solid sentence, right? Like, this is what fiction's supposed to do, right? Like, it's describing the scene both accurately, right? Because the setting sun is often red, it has like this reddish color to it. And so it's using this, but in describing it as a bloody light. It's also referencing what has just happened in the last chapter. And even this idea of long shadowed grounds, right? Like that is what happens at dusk. You get long shadows when the sun is setting. But there's also this idea of like this approaching kind of doom, like this this growing darkness in the world or whatever because of Sirius or because of the rise of Voldemort or all these things and so The sentence both describes literally what's happening in this moment and in an interesting way, but it also kind of figuratively points to other things that are going on in this chapter and in this series. What's your sentence, Vanessa?
1: My sentence comes from the very end of the chapter, and the sentence is, he seemed to be holding his breath as he gazed intently at Scabbers, and the sentence is about Lupin, and I love it because... I feel like there are two things going on at the same time, at minimum. One is he's holding his breath because he's he's trying to figure out which of his friends is a murderer, right? Like, mm-hmm. a lot hangs in the balance of this, right? If Scabbers is Peter Pettigrew, that is definitive proof that Peter Pettigrew has been there the whole time. This theory that has been percolating in Lupin's head since he saw Peter Pettigrew's name on the Marauder's map. Is, is coming to fruition. But the other thing that I think is very funny and poignant is that he's also looking at his friend in like a reunion way and is like looking and being like, Peter Pettigrew is a rat, right? Like Scabbers all these years ago looked a certain way and is it him? And that like uncanny feeling of like, is that the person I went to high school with? Oh, or does it just look like him? It's just a very funny visual for a human to be having with a rat. And so the stakes of this are very high, but the image of it is just very amusing.
0: Yeah, even like a a person like looking intently in the eyes of a rat. Like that just right. it's kind of a funny, funny scene, yeah. So we have a line from the beginning and the end of the chapter. It's a flora legium sandwich.
1: It is. And now we will put the sentences in conversation with one another. The very last rays of the setting sun were casting a bloody light over the long shadowed grounds. He seemed to be holding his breath as he gazed intently at Scabbers. Well,
0: what's interesting here for me is that it relocates the scene, right? Like it draws, now this is happening on the grounds in the setting sun. And all the imagery of the blood red light and the long uh, shadows is placed on this moment of encounter between Lupin and Peter, which is, I mean, it doesn't really expose anything new in terms of the meaning, but it does, through the imagery, kind of raise the stakes and maybe shift the emotional content of that moment for me a little bit, right? Like, it feels like, oh, this is the culmination of 13 years of anguish for Lupin, or 13 years of whatever, like, struggle with this moment in his past. There, Yeah, there's something that intensifies the the affective content for Lupin I think.
1: Yeah, I often in fairy tales, right, like things end at sundown, right? Like I'm of course just thinking of the Disney versions, but like the little mermaid becomes a mermaid again at sundown, mm. like when the sun sets some sort of like curse or whatever is over. And so it's of course the scene isn't set With the setting sun, because this isn't the end of the adventure, right? We know that in the next few chapters, there's just going to continue to be all this action. But I love the setting sun imagery to your point, because it is the closing of a moment for Lupin and Scabbers, right? Scabbers is finally going to be caught and Lupin is finally going to have this click into place. And I mean, when was the last time Peter Pettigrew, Lupin and Sirius were all in the same place, right? They were such close friends and they're realizing we're all together. And so I love this reading where the setting sun signifies that like a big transition has happened and is ending. This would be enough for a big day, right? Like (laughs) if the day ended here, Lupin could go home and be like, I had a wild day.
0: Yeah. That's right. It also makes me think of Trelawney's prediction in the last chapter, right? This is also the beginning of nighttime, a night that will not, like, dawn will not rise until the end of chapter seven, right? In the next book, Voldemort will physically and materially, somatically, bodily arise because of Peter Pettigrew, and things are going to get a lot darker in the next book. You know, people are going to start to die, not in memory, but in the actual plot of the books. So, like, night is falling, right? That's, that's another thing that's going on, and this is also, maybe what Lupin is seeing, even if he doesn't realize he's seeing it in that moment.
1: I mean, night is falling and the moon is rising, which is going to be the, the other thing that happens for Lupin. Lupin, right? yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, should we put these two sentences in another order?
0: He seemed to be holding his breath as he gazed intently at Scabbers. The very last rays of the setting sun were casting a bloody light over the long shadowed grounds. I feel like this is something he sees like in Scabber's, like reflected in Scabber's eyes, right?
1: In his little rat eyes.
0: Yeah, his beady little eyes. That does have like a slightly different semantic feel, right? Because this is like, Peter is going to be crucial to the rise of Voldemort, obviously, right? As Trelawney has predicted, as we will learn in the next book, the lengthening shadows and the blood red light, that actually is within Peter. It's in Peter in this moment. So if this, formulation makes it look like these things are within the eyes of Peter Pettigrew, then that's also true because that's where they are. And that's his getting away at the end of this book is it's what's going to allow for everything that's going to happen in the next book and therefore in the rest of the series to come.
1: Yeah. It also makes me feel the like how time sensitive this is. Hmm. He's trying to figure out, right? He's looking intently at scabbers, but the last rays of the setting sun are there, right? Like he doesn't have a lot of time to do this. And that often feels true that the highest stakes things, you don't have a lot of time to decide, right? Or to figure out it's like you can be looking for a job for six months and then the job gets offered to you and you have until monday to decide right like often there's this like slow 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 quick quick element this has been a dormant question for 12 years and all of a sudden lupin has to decide before the sun sets yeah right matt thanks so much this is so fun
0: thank you yeah these were really sparkly sparklets thank you
1: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This week's voicemail is from James.
0: After listening to your recent podcast about Lupin teaching on his first day, I want to bless Lupin the other Hogwarts teachers, and any new teacher in their system or another school. Teaching is a very difficult profession, I've been at it for 23 years, and uh, blessing for Lupin because it's really hard to join a profession where you're expected to be perfect your first day and perfect every day after that. So I wanted to bless Lupin and the other new teachers.
1: James, thank you so much. I'm not sure I have anything to add except that teachers deserve all the blessings.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you, James, for, 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 for all you do and for taking on that impossible task because the work's so important.
1: It is now time for us to remember members of our community who have been loved and lost. Marguerite K. Rube, who is 93, a beloved grandmother, caregiver, and an incredible cook. Holly Theobald, who is 46, a daughter, sister, and best ever friend. Pat Sorensen, 81, who is a great grandmother and a kind and loving person. Chaya who who is 69, a polio survivor, a great friend, and a true tzedakah. Pamela Colette, who is 62, a mom, grandma, sister, and gymnastics royalty. Vanessa Balzano, who was 42. John Sanji, 64, an uncle, husband, father, and grandfather. Courtney Brooke Allen, 31, butterfly, hummingbird, bright light, weaver, tender. Her memory is a blessing. Caleb Comanche, who was 33, a good Samaritan, killed on the scene of Courtney Brooks' fatal car accident when he stopped to help. Florence Wenton Flo Womack, who is 99, a computer for what is now NASA, a draftswoman and a beloved sister. May their memories be a blessing to us all. Matt, who would you like to bless this week?
0: Vanessa, you know, we didn't get a, the chance to spend a lot of time on this scene in the chapter, but Crookshanks crawls on top of Sirius and makes Harry pause for a moment. And I'm not sure if that moment of pause was what kept Harry from killing Sirius, but Crookshanks did it to prevent Harry from killing Sirius. And yeah, Crookshanks in this chapter is so knowing and also, like, so calm. It seems like there's, a, maybe it's just because of the way I think about cats, right? I'm I'm As I read this chapter, I'm I'm imagining the way a cat would do these actions, like, very calmly and gracefully and elegantly and, like, indifferently, nonchalantly. And I just, I imagine Crookshanks doing all these things and basically just saving the whole situation while, you know, licking his, his own paws, right? Like, 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 I could be anywhere else right now, but I guess I'll be here on top of Sirius Black. And, by the way, save the world eventually by doing it, right? So Crookshanks has my blessing this week.
1: Oh, I love that. I want to bless Harry. He's just such a good kid. (laughs) He takes that pause, which is really interesting. Actually, it mirrors the scene in book six with Draco and Dumbledore in a really interesting way. But just the, like, clarity of his sense of betrayal with Sirius, the clarity of we're going to follow Ron Like, this is just someone who really knows himself and his priorities and is always willing to live up to his values. And I wish I was half as brave as someone like Harry.
0: I think it's a great blessing, Vanessa. And I think there's also something really touching that when Lupin comes into the room and disarms him, he thinks that he has failed. Right? Yeah. And there's a poignancy there, which is like, actually, you didn't. Actually, you succeeded. Like... Some deeper part of your heart won, even though in the moment consciously you think you failed. I mean, it's a really sweet moment.
1: Yeah. Well, next week, Matt, we are reading chapter 18, Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. And we wanted to talk about friendship. So you'll be telling a story in the theme of friendship.
0: Can't wait. Before we close this week, we're going to listen to a testimonial from Julianne, who has been a patron of this podcast for two years
1: hey all my name is julianne and i became a patron with harry potter and the sacred text maybe about two years ago i joined as a patron because i believe so much in the work that they are doing the podcast is a wonderful place to listen every week and get to explore texts in a different way than i ever have before Um, it's also filled with a wonderful community of people who want to listen and understand and grow with one another. So if you haven't joined, you should. Come join us and enjoy the community together. Everyone, our only announcement this week is please go and support us on Patreon. If you join us in June of 2022, you will get a sticker sent to you. And my mom is going to be the person who mails it to you. So it's all, it's just very cute all around. So go to patreon.com slash harrypottersacredtext and join our amazing Patreon.
0: And it's not just the stickers. If we make our goal of 300 new patrons in the month of June, you and I will do a Zoom Q&A with all of our patrons, have a Q&A with them, and it'll be a lot of fun and we can't wait.
1: This was a Not Sorry production. We are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman, and we are edited and produced by AJ Urama's. Our engineer is Erica Wong, and our music is Ivan Paisao and Nick Bull. We are distributed by ACAS. We want to give a special thank this month to Hannah Rehack, who is managing our Patreon push and is just an all-around wonderful person. We'd like to thank James for his voicemail this week. Laura Glass, Julia Argy, Gabby Iori, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Turk, Stephanie Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones.
0: Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought. Okay. Okay. Sorry. So this is. Yeah. Oh, I already started recording. I already started. Sorry. I'll stop and start again.